Uh, David is a member here at Crescent, uh, along with his wife Audrey. He is one of our elders, uh, a retired uh, history teacher, and uh, uh, a full-time uh, babysitter to his five grandchildren this week. So um, we thank you very much, David, for what you've prepared, and we look forward to what you have to say to us. Thank you very much, Ryan, and thank you all for coming out this evening. I want to take you back, okay, into the dim, dark days of childhood. For some of you, it's not too far back. For some of us, it's a long journey. And I want to take you right back to school. Are you there? And I want you to visualize your worst teacher. You got him or her? If I was to ask my son Johnny, who is your worst teacher? And he is now well beyond school age. He's got children of his own who are at school. The answer would be instant. It was Mrs. And I'm not going to mention her name. I would say, why? Because we were due to have a Christmas party and the day before it, she canceled it because we were noisy. Okay? If I was to ask you what is a poor teacher, you would come up with all sorts of definitions. But if I was to ask you what is a good teacher, I wonder what you would think. As Ryan was saying, I've been teaching, I was in education, I was a vice principal. And frequently I would have had this conversation with classes about good teachers. A good teacher, they told me, was kind and patient. A good teacher was one who was absolutely constant. A good teacher was one who rewarded you appropriately. A good teacher was one who was generous. A good teacher was one who was strict. And I would say, why, why strict? Because if the good teacher didn't have control, I didn't learn anything. So when we talk about good, we compare it. We, it is relative. And what I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to talk on one single phrase from one verse. You are good, referring to God, and you do good. You are good, and you do good. But before we actually start, we actually have to understand what is good. Each and every one of you would have a, a different impression as to what is good. Some of you might think that you've been a good boy. Or some of you might think that was a good meal. Or some of you might even wish for good weather. Some things are possible. But the fact is that good is very, very hard for us to define. What one group of people consider to be good might actually be, in the eyes of others, evil. Have you thought of that? 
Because if there's no absolute to measure, you take some of for example, in history in the 20th century, some of the tyrannical leaders who took us through the 20th century, and their, their society thought they were a good leader. And yet others looking would say they were an evil leader. So what is good? And if you go to the Webster Dictionary, and it's up there on the board, and this is not the full definition of good, if you notice, the first half of it talks about that which is positive, you know, possessing uh, desirable qualities, promoting success, etc., etc. And halfway through it, it says, but not bad, not corrupt, not evil, not offensive not troublesome. And they almost say that in order to find good, you need to come to it from the opposite of what is not. So what is good? Our society today has absolutely no baseline to determine what is good. So we need to find out what the Bible says is good. I'm going to go briefly through these four points at the start, very briefly. And then as I talk to you for the next 20 minutes or so, come back to them, and hopefully we'll have picked them up. God himself is the standard and measure of what is good. The word God in the English language actually is a derivation of the word good. God is the standard of what is good. Secondly, all that is in God is good. And as I say, we will be developing these in more detail. Thirdly, God's nature is good. And he cannot do anything that would contradict his who he is. And finally, God is good, and he do and what he does is good. So those are four quite significant statements about God, the God who is good. I could give you Bible verses and passages, we could take it, but we haven't got the time to go into any detail. But let's go through it and consider it. Okay, we are looking at this little verse. You are good and you do good. You are good, and you do good. And whenever you just go underneath the surface of this text, and you look at it in more detail, you see that it divides into two. One talks about the perfection of his person, and the other, the kindness of his acts. In other words, one says his nature, or his attributes, the other says his expression. One says you are good, and the other says you do good. So let's take those two phrases. You are good. What, what is God like when it says that you are good? Throughout the Bible, and we could look at numerous passages, it says Taste and come and see and taste the Lord. The Lord is good. Surely God is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. You are good and what you do is good. 
our phrase for tonight. And repeatedly throughout the Bible, the Bible tells us that God is good. And we struggle with that because we don't know what good is. You see, here's the problem. I can use a, a description from Narnia, C.S. Lewis. When the children come back and meet the witch, the witch goes out of her way to convince them what they have experienced in Narnia when they met Aslan was all false. And she says to them, you see that lamp? That lamp is the source of the light that you saw in Narnia. That lamp is the source of the sun and the light of Narnia. You've got it the wrong way round. You need to concentrate on the lamp. And that's exactly the problem that we have. In order to understand that God is good, we need to first of all understand who we are and what we are. Because whenever we understand who we are, and then we look at the sun, we can see how far short we are from the reality of that picture. We've got to understand that we are not good. That might sound quite a statement to make. But we are not good. We will do good things. We will endeavor to behave in a good way. We will do things which are good within our society. But in many ways, we are looking at the, the lamp, the little lamp. Because that is our comprehension of good. What is the reality? The ultimate good far, far supersedes anything that you or I are or can do or think we are. So we are not good. God alone is good. This is reinforced whenever a man, a young man, came up to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's recorded in three of the Gospels. And he said to him, good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord Jesus Christ stops him and says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? In Jesus' answer, he said, no one is good except God alone. And this is a sermon in itself as to what was he been experiencing. But this young man had been listening to Jesus, and he came to him, and he addressed him as a good teacher. And the Lord Jesus Christ was saying, what do you understand by being good? And what you understand by being good is nothing compared to the reality of who God is. As a matter of fact, if you take it and look at the theologians, this is what it says. It's an essential property of his nature, whereby he is absolutely and perfectly good in himself. We cannot separate what is good from God, and you cannot have goodness without God, just as you cannot have God without goodness, because God alone is good. Now, you need to think in that comment. You cannot have goodness without God, because God alone is good. 
And if God is good, as the Bible teaches, that is the standard, that is the measurement, that is what we look at. We don't look at the socially around the planet and say, oh, he's good, or they're good, or that society's good. You look at it and say, God is the ultimate good. God is good. That's his nature. And how do we compare to that? And we find that we're not good. Or another says, God himself is good. There are no defects or contradictions in him. Now, we could go into an apologetic argument. You could say, well, if God is good, why does he allow? And we can list the things. We don't have time for that tonight. But here is the answer that I would give you in the simplest form. The problem is not that God's not good. The problem is that we are not good. We have rebelled against God. We are the ones who have stepped out of his way. We are the ones who are shaking our fist at God. And God has allowed us to go our own way. And God, being God, cannot contradict himself and cannot be evil. And that's important in this present day and age. The evil... That which is as opposite to good is a consequence of man's sin. You see, whenever God, and we'll come back to this later, created the world, he said it is good. Nothing can be added to his nature. You can't make him any better. He is excellent in an infinite degree, and he possesses every desirable quality. God is good. To come back to the little analogy, we look at the lamp and the light in the lamp, and we think that's good. But in reality, there is a greater good, and that greater good is reflecting its light and giving its light to that lamp. But the greater good far surpasses anything that you or I can even begin to comprehend. So, you do good. This is the second half of the psalm. We had a look at God's nature. He is good. And how do we know he is good? Okay, let me take you back to the days of romance and dating. For some of you, you might be in the middle of it. For me, it is ancient history. But Whenever my wife and I first met, I was declaring to her my love. Doesn't that sound like I didn't even get a ah or a boom or a wow. I was declaring to her my love. But I could have said to Audrey, I love you. Right? And then the next time I meet you, I love you. And the next time I met her, I love you. That means nothing. Absolutely nothing. I've made a declaration of love, but what have I got to do to prove that love? I've got to express that love. I have to demonstrate that love. I have to show that love. No, I didn't buy her flowers and all that sort of soppy nonsense. But she knew because of what I did and how I behaved and how I responded that I loved her because 
My actions and what I did was an expression of the declaration of my love. And it's the same with God. He is good, the ultimate good. We are fallen, but God continues to express his love to us in action, in things. He does it. And we wonder how he has done that. Because God is the highest and greatest good. He's also the source of all good. One of the early Puritans wrote this in 1690, believe it or not, significant date. All his other attributes flow out of his goodness as their fountain. In other words, God being good, his goodness All of his other attributes flow out from that. And by his attributes, we mean his love and other things, which we'll come back to in a minute. But because he is good, everything flows from that goodness. The other acts of God are but the outward flow of his goodness. The more contemporary one, A.W. Tozer, which I read whenever I was in school too long ago, And he said, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be full of goodwill toward men. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness. Because God is good, God bestows his goodness upon us. And we, we've rebelled against God but he continues to bless us. Hi. Let me develop this a little further to show you that he is a fountain. His goodness is a fountain of so much. Whenever God appeared before Moses, or not directly appeared, but passed by Moses, Moses was in the cleft of the rock, and in Exodus 33 and the start of 34, we read these words. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim you before my name. The Lord, the Lord is God's name. And he is a merciful, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is one of the first references that we have of God's goodness. He says, I will show you my goodness. And when he does it, look at the words that he uses to describe him. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness, and so on. So God's goodness is shown and demonstrated to us in his actions. And the interesting one is, and I will by no means clear the guilty. God's goodness doesn't allow him to contradict himself. And if we are guilty, he just can't say, okay, I clear you. Forget it. God cannot just disregard sin. There is a consequence And that consequence is significant upon the human race since the day 
of Adam and Eve. So, how does he express his goodness? God expresses his goodness in creation. I stood down on Murloc Strand whenever I took this photograph one morning. It stuck with me ever since. The sunrise that I witnessed that morning was one of the most beautiful sunrises I've ever seen. And as I looked out there to see and to my right down over the moorings and the beautiful beach, and I thought, what a beautiful creation. How magnificent is this creation? I looked at the little flowers growing in the field. I looked at the, the birds and the, I saw the seals on the, on the beach. And, and I thought, God made all this. God made it all. And seven times in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, God says what he made was good. And then finally, he says, and God saw that all he had made, and behold, was good. What God made is good. And what God wants you to do is to enjoy that which he has made. Now, yes, it has been distorted by what I mentioned to you earlier, man's rebellion and sin. But we've got to acknowledge that the world in which we live, this little planet, this little planet that's spinning in space is beautiful. The detail, the majesty, God made it good. I wonder what would have happened if it made it in grayscale. Have you ever thought of that? If all you saw was black and white. But no, God introduced color. What if he made it and it was silent? You couldn't hear the birds. You couldn't listen to music. What if he had made it and you were blind? You couldn't see. What he made was good and is good. So he is expressing his goodness in his creation. But let me tell you something. His creation's not over yet. Say what? His creation's not finished. Because it says that whenever the last and the end comes, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And that new heaven and that new earth will manifest God's goodness. And there will be no tarnishing by rebellion or by sin. And secondly, it's expressed, and I use the word in his favor. And you'll look, and as we do this, you'll come across some of the words that we have reformed related to during the course of this study. Okay? And I'm not going to read them all. It's a fairly intense uh, slide, but truth, grace, love, generosity, fairness, forgiveness, kindness, and I could go on. All of these are the expression of God's love towards us. And that is whenever we were rebelling. When we shook our fist, we said we didn't want God. But God still demonstrates his love towards us. 
I'd encourage you to go back and listen to each of the talks where it talks about each of these and all of the speakers reference each and every one of the outflowing of God's goodness in truth, grace, love, generosity, fairness, forgiveness, and kindness. But the ultimate is expressed in his redemption. What would have happened because of man's rebellion, because of man's sin, God who is good did nothing. We're lost. We're gone. This God who is good couldn't allow that to happen. And God who is good reached down into this world. And look what it says. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He sent his son to die on a cross for us. His sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate good, the ultimate manifestation of his character. God who is good said, out of goodness, I will give my son. And then it says in 1 John, and this, this is the love of God was manifest toward us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God is good. And God has demonstrated his goodness to us in his creation and the beauty of it through his favor and his attributes manifested towards us. But ultimately, God is good because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You are not good. I am not good. We are not good. We cannot reach the standard of God. We're like a dim little lamp in the corner looking at the blazing sun and thinking we are good. And God said, I can't have you. I cannot, I cannot contradict my character. But out of my goodness, he sent his son. And out of his goodness, his son died on the cross for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, while we were yet apart, God, who is good, reached out. And we have to respond. We have to respond to the expression of God's goodness. So look at this. The Bible teaches that God himself is a standard and a measure of what is good. And all that is in God is good. And God's nature is good, and he cannot do anything that would contradict his nature and who he is. And God is good. And all he does is good. God is good. One of the things that we would do as teachers is sometimes you have got a very short notice to cover a class. It's a nightmare. Here's me, a history teacher, 
being asked to cover home economics. You can imagine. But every teacher in their bag has a little task that they ask them to complete to occupy them. And a, class walked, a teacher walked into a, a class that he wasn't normally teaching, and they were all sitting there in front of him. And he went along and he put down a piece of paper face down, right the whole way around, right the whole way around the class. He said, don't, don't open it. He says, now, turn it over. And they turned over the page, and there was a white A4 sheet with a black dot in the middle, a black spot. And he said, now write what you see. And he sat marking his books for half an hour. I like poor kids had to struggle about what do you write about. And then at the end, he gathered in all of the papers and all of them, and he turned them over, and he read them. One after another, described the black dot. Some talked about the size of the dot. Some talked about the location of the dot. Some talked about the shape of the dot. And it went on. Everybody described the black dot. Not one person in that room described the white that surrounded it. What's the black dot? The black dot is our rebellion towards God. And God, in his mercy, sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross for that black dot, you and me. But this couple of weeks, we've been looking at the bigger picture. We've been looking at the white all around about it. And we haven't got enough paper to talk about how much God is good. Our focus sometimes moves away. Our focus doesn't see all that is so positive and is so good. So we've been looking at the goodness of God. We looked at God as kind. We look at God as fair. We looked at God as generous. We look at God as constant. And we looked at God as good. And that's only the surface. It's only the surface. I'd encourage you to find out more about God and who he is. I'd encourage you to read extensively about his nature and his attributes. And not to allow ourselves to be distorted by thinking that everything is just this little compact. There is a greater good out there. There is one who is holy omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and I could go on. God, in his majesty and his holiness, is good. And all flows out from his goodness towards man and his expression of that goodness towards you and me in all that he has done for us. All that he has done for us. He's always good. Dwight Pentecost was a very, very well-known author of my generation. He was a well-known lecturer. And he was in Dallas Theological Seminary, and he stood in front of a class and others, and he said, I want you to pray for my wife. She's very seriously ill. She's going to the doctor on Tuesday. And the class prayed for him. And when he came back to it the following day after Tuesday, they said, how is she? She's fine. 
she's going to recover. And they said, God is good. And Dwight Pentecost said this, God is always good. It's not just there for the emergency. God is there for us. And because he is good, his love is poured out to us in so many ways and expressed in so many ways to us. I'm going to hand back now to Ryan and then we'll close in prayer. But I trust that you have been challenged by what you've heard and that you look at the goodness of God and look at the redemptive work of the cross and how it can change you. Right. Father, we come into your presence and we praise you that you are a good God. Our Father, we thank you for the expression of that goodness towards us. We thank you, our Father, for your attributes, for your creation. But most of all, we thank you for your Son. Our Father, help us to get the wider picture. Help us, our Father, to see the majesty and the beauty of God, to understand to some degree who you are and what you have done for us. We thank you, our Father, for our time together. We ask for your blessing upon us as we safely travel home. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for coming, and our service is over.